And another thing And another thing Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing Podcast. I am Tony Clement. Jody Jenkins has been heroically trying to get onto our system to participate, but we've had a bit of a technical difficulty. But we're going to just roll with the punches as we do on And Another Thing and uh, welcome, of course, all of our listeners. Uh, we had a hiatus last week because I was in Nigeria on business. Uh, I guess we'll talk about that on a banter episode at some point. But uh, we wanted to get back on track. And of course, there's lots to tar- talk about with our special guest. But first, of course, we want to thank our sponsors, including, of course, our presenting sponsor, Municipal Solutions. Yes, John Mutton and the gang are leading the way when it comes to MZOs in Ontario. And they are there for development services and project management of uh, your municipal uh, needs, including development approvals, permit expediting planning services with municipalities, engineering services, architectural services, even things like minor variances and land severances. For all your municipal solutions needs, go to municipalsolutions.ca. And then our sponsor, the HarrisLegacy.ca. Yes, the HarrisLegacy.ca. We're talking about a new book about Mike Harris, a very consequential premier in Ontario politics. The book is called The Harris Legacy, Reflections on a Transformational Premier. You can order this uh, by visiting theharrislegacy.ca. Uh, basically, the, um, the idea is that we are living in Mike Harris's Ontario, and we have uh, a series of essays in this book, including contributors such as David Frum, Jack Mintz, uh, Gord Miller, who is a former environment commissioner, David Hurley, a uh, famous liberal, and more. It is edited by Alistair Campbell, and the previous episode of And Another Thing, we interviewed Alistair. So go to theharrislegacy.ca and order yours now. We want to thank our um, terrestrial radio sponsor, uh, which is Hunters Bay Radio. Go to huntersbayradio.com every Saturday, and you can uh, hear this podcast uh, again as well as other uh, very wonderful pod- podcasts. They're a great uh, local radio station in Huntsville, Muskoka. Go to huntersbayradio.ca. And finally, we have another sponsor, a, a podcast, Not Reserving Judgment. If you enjoy this show, <coughs> pardon me. If you enjoy this show, We think you'll love the podcast, Not Reserving Judgment, from our friends at the Canadian Constitution Foundation, a charity dedicated to a freer Canada. In each episode, hosts Josh DeHaas, Joanna Barron, and Christine Van Gynde update you on the latest legal news, tell you about legal stories that you might have missed, and give their bad legal takes of the week, where they take a lighthearted look at legal opinions that didn't quite land. Not Reserving Judgment isn't just for lawyers. It's a show for all Canadians who care about their rights and freedoms. The hosts aren't afraid of controversial topics. In recent episodes, they've tackled so-called residential school denialism. Uh, Ellie, you'd be interested in this. Benjamin Netanyahu's constitutional reforms and proposals to require parental consent for childhood gender transition. Find Not Reserving Judgment wherever else you get your podcasts. 
download the latest episode today. I think today there was actually a new episode. So those are our sponsors. We thank them. And very quickly, we want to get to our guest and give him the uh, the time uh, to uh, tell his story and tell his country's story. I'm speaking, of course, with Mr. Eli uh, Hazan, uh, who, of course, uh, was uh, on this podcast. He was one of our first guests four years ago, December 2019, in a different capacity. But now he is the Honorable Excellency, the Ambassador uh, uh, to Singapore for the State of Israel. Uh, he is coming to us from Singapore. Eli, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for hosting again, and good morning from Singapore. Good morning from Singapore. Good evening from Canada. Uh, Eli, uh, of course, uh, we want to talk about uh, the attack on Israel by Hamas and uh, uh, all of the events that have happened since then. But uh, as I said to you off air, I don't want to forget about October 7th. I know there's a lot of people that want to rush to demanding a ceasefire or talking about regional conflict. But uh, of course, all of this started with the events of October 7th. And I would love to get your perspective of it, what what you heard, what you were feeling, uh, and of course, we'll take it from there. For us, first of all, uh, it was a sh- uh, shocking surprise. I mean, we get up in the morning, you know, it was uh, Sunday, I believe, October 7th, so Saturday, because here it's weekend on Singapore, so you cannot differentiate between Saturday and Sunday. And usually we used to to get uh, attacks from Gaza, unfortunately. And so it's so crazy that I say so as an Israeli. We, yes, we used to get uh, missiles attacks from Gaza, but after half an hour, we understood that this is something different. It was a huge surprise. Uh, and the events later, I mean, the day later, we were exposed into a shocking pictures and videos. It was horrific atrocities that I can't remember. Uh, we compare it, usually you have to understand the Israeli context. Usually we don't compare anything to the Holocaust because the mm. Holocaust is very unique in Israel. Right. But we could see pictures that reminds us very much of the Holocaust. Um, it's more severe even than ISIS. The actions of ISIS uh, beheaded babies. They burned whole families. You, uh, think about the scale. I mean, this is a huge number, approximately 1,500, and ne- yet it's not a final number because there are many people who are missing, still missing. There are 240 people that were captured. Uh, they were right. taken hostage uh, by Hamas. Do those are huge numbers, and more than that. I'll tell you how I see it from within. This is why I don't think we are going into a ceasefire. People must understand that no matter how much time it's going to take, whatever needed to do, we are going to destroy Hamas because we speak about the existence of the state of Israel. What does it mean? If we will not destroy Hamas, think about it. There are approximately 120,000 Israelis who are uprooted from the north, from the south, sorry. If we will not destroy Hamas, they will never go back there. that it has a huge influence uh, on the region and on the on the world. What does it mean? If Hamas will not be uh, will not surrender, it means that it's going to be the winner of these uh, uh, events. Right. It means it's going to get more power in the world. It means that more extremists will get power in the world because they will be encouraged. So. This is one thing it's very important to emphasize. The world must understand that we don't go to any ceasefire. 
we go to destroy Hamas, no matter how much it's going to cost us. And there is a consensus. Another thing that people have to remember that uh, the Israeli society was very divided until October 7th. I mean, we had the... Well, that's right. There were, there were internal protests and uh, exactly. a healthy democratic debate going on. Yeah, I mean, it was, again, I, could, I can't remember this kind of division among the Israeli society, again, until October 7th. The same people who used to demonstrate, those are the same people who go to fight. Vice versa, the, the same people who were against the demonstrator, those are the same people who fight next to the, the demonstrators. There is a unity uh, inside the Israeli society. It doesn't matter anymore whether you are rightist or leftist. Uh, there is a consensus. We are going to destroy Hamas. That is the most important thing. And as I call it, our second war of independence. That's interesting terminology because... Um, you're 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 telling the story, and we don't want to forget about the loss of life and uh, the horrible images that are ingrained in our minds. But there's also a strategic factor here, and and you've alluded to that that uh, that uh, Israel can only exist if it has what is called credible deterrence. That exactly. the, the forces that surround Israel and hate Israel feel that if they if they crossed a red line. The uh, the effects on their leadership and uh, their position and their fighters they would be eradicated and if if that feeling does not exist this will happen again and again and again and again and you know for those who are calling for a ceasefire and I talk to Canadians who may be listening to this program uh, you know first of all there was a ceasefire before Hamas attacked. That's the first thing. Uh, the the yeah. Israelis were not the ones who uh, in some way violated a ceasefire. But secondly, exactly. th- there can be no ceasefire unless Hamas is dismantled because it is very clear from their charter and from their activity and uh, everything that they have done and said that uh, they are there to destroy Israel, uh, to kill every Jew in the region. Uh, you know, and, and so th- there has to be a change. But let me add, Tony, with your permission, it's not only about killing any Jew. They killed 40 Muslims deliberately. They know it. Uh, we have footages and videos of, of how did they do it. Uh, more than that, uh, we have Bedouins next to the border with yes. Gaza, and they slaughtered the Bedouins, and Bedouins are Muslims. More than that, they slaughtered foreigners. Think about it. It's not only yeah. about Jews, and that's what we are telling to the world. It's not this, It's not only the story of the state of Israel. It's the story of the world. It is the story of the Western world and of the free world. And this is the interest of the free world, interest of states like Canada to dismantle Hamas. And another thing, another very interesting thing, look at the position of President Biden. Look yeah. at his, I would say, firm position. Uh, he knows and is back up as all the time. He knows exactly why we have to dismantle Hamas because the implications are very important. So uh, t- tell us a little bit. Uh, I, I want to go into that because, of course, some of the the fears, uh, I'm sure, inside Israel, but also outside Israel, is that this, uh, this situation uh, expands into a regional war. Uh, and we're talking about Hezbollah, but also Iran. Uh, yeah. You know, could it expand even further than that? Who knows? Uh, so what are, your, what are your thoughts on that? 
First of all, let's go back. One of the, there are many reasons why Hamas did it. The most important reason is that Hamas wanted to demoralize the, the, the Israelis. He wanted to create a chaos, to create a, a sentiment of fear that the Israelis will be terrified. By the way, he wanted many Israelis to leave the state, but he created the opposite phenomenon. Because ever since the war started, 200,000 Israeli, 200, Israelis came back to fight in Israel and to volunteer. But it's more than that. We had a negotiation with Saudi Arabia about normalization. Right. And uh, Hamas knew that uh, this kind of attack will prevent any kind of negotiation right now. I'm hoping that in the future, the Saudis will understand that this is their interest. Uh, in addition, that was the target of Iran. Iran is trying to uh, destroy this place of the, this, um, place of the world. Uh, Iran is trying to uh, to make troubles as much as as she can in order uh, that in order to prevent from the world to dealing what's going on in Iran and we know exactly what's going on in Iran when it comes to human rights uh, killing uh, homosexuals and things like that right so that is another thing more than that there are what we call proxies it's not only Hezbollah not only Hamas there are the Houthis in Yemen Yes. And the Iran is trying, to, it's not trying. I mean, Iran is a strong supporter of this kind of proxies. Uh, we have the challenge in Lebanon of Hezbollah. The Saudis have the challenge of the Houthis in Yemen. Uh, but I truly believe that we are going to dismantle Hezbollah if needed as well. As you can see, until now, Hezbollah is, you know, dealing with Israel, but not in the same scale that the Iranians would expect. Right. But do you think it's inevitable that Hezbollah will, will uh, activate uh, all of its missiles and, and its fighters if, uh, if the uh, assault on Gaza continues? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, it depends. First of all, you should address this question to Hezbollah. I know one thing. If Hezbollah will do this kind of action, we will destroy him as well. I mean, he's going to be next. Because right. again, it goes back to the existence of the state of Israel. Uh, I'm not sure they will do it because they are deterred. But uh, don't forget, they are proxy of Iran. If Iran will tell them to do it, they will do it. Yeah. I know from, from past events, I mean, we had so many conflicts with Hamas. Uh, uh, Hezbollah didn't join. Maybe this time it's different, I don't know. But let's see. In any case, if, we will, if needed, we will destroy Hezbollah as well. You must have been relieved when um, the Americans showed up with such force in the Eastern Mediterranean with their aircraft carrier groups. That that was obviously a deterring factor for Iran, but it, it, I'm sure it felt good to have that that muscle there. No doubt about it. I'll tell you why. Because we don't want to fight alone against those lunatics. Uh, I think this is the issue of the Western world as well, of the free world as well, uh, because, again, if we will not destroy Hamas, it will come to the Western countries. You could see the demonstrations supporting Hamas, uh, and it's quite terrified. And you must be very strong, and you must show, you know, uh, unity among the, the free world, among the states of the free world. Right. I, 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 did, it, did that surprise you, Ellie? that the... The, I think there was 500,000 th- people, 500, people in London, UK, 
who came out to demonstrate uh, a few days ago. No, 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 no. It wasn't. You know, there are many friends of mine from the left wing in Israel. They were very surprised. You could see the headlines of uh, leftist newspapers in Israel. Uh, For me, no, it was not a surprise because, first of all, I studied in the Hebrew University. I studied in the University of Vienna. Mm -hmm. Uh, I came from the academy and I could see the voice, I could hear the voices and I could see the people. And I, I used to tell them, you're wrong. You're wrong because you are backing terrorists. You are backing, you are giving, uh, backing, you are backing up terrorists. And uh, it's going to be uh, very, very problematic for you, not only for us. Another thing, you could see it uh, through the social media, uh, the reflection of people who support Hamas. Another interesting thing, don't forget the money. There is a lot of money of Qatar involving in, you know, in sports, in, you right. know, in academia and things like that. Mm. Uh, and there is the image. Don't forget another very interesting thing that Israel is winning, although we are outnumbered. And this mm-hmm. is another very interesting phenomenon. Mm-hmm. We are winning, although we are outnumbered. The numbers are huge. And many people are mistaken. Think about assuming that you are an ordinary a British citizen, you're sitting in, uh, in your, at your home and you watch BBC, who is completely biased, by the way. You could see the, the story of the hospital in Gaza. We didn't bomb right. the hospital in Gaza. We don't do this kind of things. It's against the Jewish, I would say, sentiment, killing innocent people. Right. We are doing everything human possible in order to prevent it, in a contrary to Hamas. Uh, and nevertheless, BBC reported at the beginning that Israel attacked the hospital. They knew it was a lie. They knew from the beginning because we don't do it. And nevertheless, they decided to broadcast it. Although they apologized later. Why I'm, telling, why I'm giving the story of the case study of the hospital? Because if you're sitting in London or in Manchester or in Birmingham or some other place in Britain and you see that the hospital is, was bombing, therefore you have a strong sentiment against this kind of action. This is why I believe the media has a very important role of giving biased, uh, a biased picture about what's going on. Well, we had the same thing in Canada with the CBC, uh, who jumped the gun, and other Canadian media outlets jumped the gun and attributed the bombing to Israel and then had to eat their own words, of course. And uh, there's also a controversy in Canada because the CBC refuses to call Hamas terrorists. They just call them militants. Exactly. And uh, the BBC is the same, I know. So uh, the, the, this this battle is kind of brewing. And the other thing I want to tell you, and uh, you know, it's a very unsettling time for Canadian Jews. They they feel uh, unsafe, and they feel like they could be attacked at any moment. Uh, I'm yeah. told that there are Canadian Muslims who feel the same way as well. Uh, but I, I I know that Canadian Jews feel that way, having talked to them. So I'm sure this is something that uh, is common throughout the world right now. Yeah, even 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 in many places in the region in Asia. But let me tell you something about it. I wanted to make it clear: we don't have any fight with the Muslims. We don't have any fight with the Muslim world. We have nothing against the Muslims or not against us. We have a fight with Hamas. We have a fight with with the people who want to annihilate us. More than that, people must take into consideration that there are Muslims in the Israeli army, in the IDF. Uh, we are on the same side in that case because I do not I do not call it a war between Jews and Muslims. The opposite is true. This is a war between human beings and human monsters. 
Yes. That is the yeah. issue. And we should remember that because I'm telling to my friends, you know, many Muslim friends in Europe, even in Israel, don't forget that it's not only about Jews. This is not a, a religious war. This mm-hmm. is ideolo- It's not only a religious war. This is an ideological war. Because at the end, this is another thing that I want to emphasize. If you want to, to understand what is Hamas exactly, you should go and read Hamas Covenant from 1988. They called to annihilate not only the state of Israel, to the annihilation of the Jews. More than that, to want to apply the Sharia, the Muslim law, on what they call one Palestine. Right. Uh, and at the end, it's not only against Jews, it's against humanity. More right. than that, for me, it was not surprising. I mean, many people in Israel were surprised that Hamas committed war crimes. No. Look at their ideology, and more than that, they uh, infiltrate Israel when they were drugged. And this is another phenomenon. It reminds me very much of the past. Right, right, right. I, I, and, uh, of course, this uh, this whole attack occurred on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, which was uh, uh, yeah. started uh, on the same holiday, the Holy Day. Uh, so there's a, there's a pattern there for sure. I, I, in, in a sense... Um, I want to talk, unpack a little bit more about uh, what you know about Israelis who have come back to Israel, who are away or have dual nationality and who are coming to Israel in the time of need. What can you tell us about that? Again, it reminds me very much of the past because this is the same phenomenon from Yom Kippur War. We were surprised in Yom Kippur as much as we were surprised right now. And there is a strong Israeli sentiment. Approximately 200,000 Israelis came back. Don't catch me with the numbers. It can be 250,000 or 150,000. It's in between. Uh, They came back in order to fight, in order to volunteer from all around the world. I mean, from Western countries, from non-Western countries, because they feel that this is about time to defend the state. And more than that, as I told you, this is ideological uh, affair. It's not only religious. Mm-hmm. And another interesting thing is to see the cooperation, the collaboration inside the Israeli society. Jews, Muslims, Christians, uh, uh, there is a lot of volunteers who came uh, to volunteer in many, many topics. Uh, not only, you know, preparing food for the soldiers, but uh, when it comes to fundraising, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when it comes to give hand, for instance, a lot of the farmers, uh, a lot of those who live next to Gaza, the Jews who live next to Gaza, they were farmers. Many of right. them were killed. So we need uh, hands for work. Many of the Israelis go to the farms in order to help them. And it is amazing to see it. I mean, you can go to the social media, Facebook, Twitter, and things like that, and to see it. It's quite heartwarming. Ellie, uh, talk a little bit about the ultra-Orthodox community in Israel. Um, uh, I'm sure many Canadians don't know this, but uh, typically the ultra-Orthodox do not sign up for military service, uh, and uh, they conti- they are kind of in society, but they they are there to study uh, the sacred texts, uh, and uh, they they don't participate in Israeli society the same way. Certainly not with the IDF. But I'm 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 hearing it being said that that some of them are are even volunteering for the IDF. Have you heard that? Okay. Yeah, 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 of course. First of all, I was involved. I grew up in Jerusalem in the 1990s. And in Jerusalem, you have a uh, very big ultra-Orthodox community. 
Let me give you a short introduction. First of all, why this community doesn't work and why do they don't they they don't go to the army? They don't uh, they don't send their children to the army. By by the way, what I'm saying right now it's true until October seventh. Hmm. What is the reason? Because the most important thing for their point of view is preserving the Torah, the holy scripts of Judaism. They consider themselves as those who are keeping the Torah. This is the most important thing. And think about it. After the Holocaust, many ultra-Orthodox communities were simply annihilated. So after the Holocaust, it was a common, I would say, thought of the leaders, the ultra-Orthodox leaders, that the most important thing in life is keeping the Torah, studying the Torah, the Talmud, all the Jewish scriptures. That is the most important thing. And think about it. They sacrificed their life in order to study Torah. By the way, they are very poor. They choose to live as poor. And this is very important. Now, having said that, in the Israeli society, I would say in the last 20 years, there is a lot of hatred against the ultra-Orthodox because many Israelis feel that they don't contribute to the society. They, as I told you, they don't go to the army, they don't work, uh, and something happened, I would say, in the last decade or so. Many of them, not all of them, but many of the ultra-Orthodox started to go to the army to volunteer. Mm. They started to work, okay? Uh, and it comes from below, from below the society. I mean, the chief rabbis is against it, are against mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But many ultra-Orthodox, thanks to the internet, by the way, thanks mm. to the modernization, they started to do it voluntarily, without any agreement of their chief rabbis. What's happened after October 7th, that there is a strong trend of ultra-Orthodox, first of all, volunteering for the army, going to the army for volunteering, and then helping in works, in jobs, uh, replacing those farmers that I've, I told you about. And it's very interesting. One thing I know, that October 7th will change the Israeli society for good and for more good. Mm. It means mm. that after the disagreements and again, until October 7th, the Israeli society were divided. I mean, we were very angry, we were very polarized. And it seems to me that after October 7th, there is a different dimension. Let me tell you another thing that it's very important. In the Israeli, in the IDF, this is, as you know, a mandatory service. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, women started to be fighters in the 1990s, and it was a, a strong sentiment against it. And after the events in October 7th, when you could see many women mm -hmm. who were strong fighters, there is a, um, a new sentiment who say, wait a second, let's rethink about it. Women can serve, as we understood. By the way, there is a very interesting kibbutz named Niram. It was one of two kibbutzim out of 22 who was not damaged completely because they were prepared uh, to the fighters, to the terrorists of Hamas. Really? Yeah, yeah. And the commander of this group was a lady in Balibarman. Uh -huh. Remember the name. And she organized them. I mean, she woke up. It was a documentary in the Israeli television lately. They interviewed her. 30 minutes, uh -huh. by the way, fascinating. And she, she said what she did exactly in Baliber, in Baliberman from Niram. She prepared the, the forces in order to fight against Hamas. So that is the sentiment. And again, I believe that after uh, we will finish the war 
dismantling Hamas and destroying Hamas, the Israeli society is going to a different phase. Yeah, you know, I, uh, Eli, you you might remember that I back in just this past July, I was in Jerusalem for a conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our good good friend uh, Ron uh, Nearing, uh, and uh, you were there too. And uh, you know uh, that Jerusalem, that Israel, in a sense, doesn't exist anymore. It's it, like you say, it's going to be changed in so many ways. Uh, after this conflict and after what happened on October 7th. So take us through what you think <coughs> what you think is going to happen uh, in the next few days and weeks. I tell you what, uh, as I, the most important thing to remember, and that is the slogan uh, that we use, if you will not eliminate Hamas, Hamas will eliminate you. Right. We are going to focus in eliminating Hamas, destroying Hamas. Uh, that is the most important thing. That is what the Israeli society is is doing right now. Uh, you should ask yourself what will be the day after Hamas. Uh, mm-hmm. And I let me assume that it's going to be different. I don't know how and on what sense. And more than that, we will have to rehabilitate our economy. Because right now we are investing a lot of money, billions of shekels, in order to support the IDF. It has it's a, a war economy in- right now. Exactly. It's a war con- economy. Yeah. Uh, it has a huge influence on the Israeli market right now. Uh, and we are going to focus on rehabilitating the society. And let me tell you one more thing. I truly believe that uh, we will find the uh, appropriate ways in order to correct the Israeli economy because we are uh, dealing with a lot of failures, you know, uh, market failures. And okay. we would use it. We would use it. This is uh, this is going to be very interesting, obviously. And uh, I, I, if I can just make one comment, I uh, this might all change by the time this podcast is released. But I, I'm finding the Israeli uh, army tactics quite interesting right now, where they are uh, they are doing incursions into Gaza, but it's not a full frontal assault. assault. Uh, you know they're they're picking their their uh, times, they're picking their targets. Uh, there are incursions, but it's not you know three hundred thousand troops all at once. And I uh, maybe that'll happen for a while. I don't know. I, w- I, d- I won't speak about our uh, I would say strategy. You have to remember that the most important thing is uh, destroying Hamas, and you'll see it in the near future. I believe. I want to thank you, Eli, uh, for coming on the program. Uh, I know uh, you're in Singapore, but you've got uh, your family in Israel. And uh, and uh, I just pray for, uh, I know you've got family in Singapore, but you've also got family in Israel. And so I pray for everybody's health and safety and uh, all thank of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Uh, you know, certainly Jody and I feel very strongly that Israel is in the right uh, and that they uh, have to defend themselves uh, for the future of Israelis and uh, Jews around the world. So we wish you a Godspeed. I'm just uh, just hang on. I'm going to thank our sponsors, and then we'll talk a little bit more offline. But uh, thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Municipal Solutions. You can find them at municipalsolutions.ca, theharrislegacy.ca. Pick up the book, The Harris Legacy, Reflections on a Transformational Premier. You can order that today at theharrislegacy.ca. And then, of course, uh, Not Reserving Judgment podcast, a new podcast that you can find wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, our terrestrial radio sponsor, 
huntersbayradio.com. Hopefully Jody will be with me next week and I certainly will be here too with another podcast. Until then, have a great week, everyone.